On this episode of the Culture Pop Podcast, it's official. There will be no Batgirl movie on HBO Max. We've got details. Sue has discovered two new cousins on 23andMe. She's getting ready to meet them. Plus, actor Dermot Mulroney joins us to talk about his career and his new movie, Gone in the Night. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the Culture Pop Podcast on Apple, Spotify, or at stevemason.com. And don't forget to leave us a rating and a review. The Culture Pop Podcast is brought to you by the law offices of Jacob Imrani. Accident or injury, call Jacob Imrani. Call Jacob. Hey, it's Mace. If you or a friend or loved one is injured in an accident, the first person you should call is my friend Jacob. When I did this, Jacob was great. He helped me by talking through the next steps, which really put my mind at ease. When you're injured in an accident, you got to have an expert. That's why you call Jacob, just like I did. Call Jacob, 844-24-JACOB. That's 844-24-JACOB. Or visit calljacob.com. Call Jacob. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Culture Pop Podcast. I'm Steve Mason, along with Sue Kalinsky. Sue Baloo, this is episode 209. They said it wouldn't last. Uh, Dermot Mulroney is our guest today. I'm excited about that. But you brought to me. How you doing? I'm good. I'm really good. We're recording incredibly early for people, and, and this will say a lot about Sue and me, uh, we're recording at like nine o'clock in the morning and I don't do my best work until like afternoon. So I don't know if you heard about this, but um, did you read about Batgirl being nixed? No, this is unbelievable. So on uh, the other day, um, one of the filmmakers, actually, both of them were in Morocco for one of their weddings. Uh huh. And they find out at the wedding that the film that that basically is in post production right now or going in into post production going into post production has been nixed from well, HBO Max. That's crazy. I mean, if it's already in post production, you might as well finish the thing. It's crazy. So they were saying that it, I guess it was greenlit for uh, ninety. No, no, for eighty million, and it ballooned to ninety million. And after they did a test. You know, like they do those like uh, test screenings, test screenings. Um, It got and these are the numbers that they talk about. It was like in the 60s or something like that, which to I guess in when they're doing these screenings, if it is that or lower, they fear that the movie is going to tank. So they pulled it. Wow. And they also pulled it. It's it's very confusing to me They because they were talking about how they have there's like um. They have a new uh, CEO, David Zaslav, and he was uh, they were saying that he opted to shelve the project in order to take a tax write down. Oh, yeah. Million. Take take the loss. So he's taking the loss. And, I, you know, <laughs> I, I can't I mean, I feel so much for these directors and the actors in this film that it's never, ever going to be seen by yeah, that's just crazy to me they spend so much time and so much money making it and so exciting you know especially for the actress you know who's playing batgirl um yeah so that's it's, devastating it's done yeah so here's what's interesting sue and i t- t- take you inside a little bit so the marvel cinematic universe belongs to disney 
and they don't mess it up. Those Marvel movies, the the phase of those Marvel movies, there they nail them over and over again. I just saw the most recent Thor: Love and Thunder. Thought it was great. DC is owned by Warner Brothers. HBO Max is owned by Warner Brothers, and and DC uh, uh, movies and projects are very very hit and miss. So I'm not surprised that there was a miss by Warner Brothers with a DC product, but I, I can't believe they wouldn't finish the film and at least put it on the uh, the algorithm and see what happens. I know, and Michael Keaton was back as Batman. No, and this is the one yes. Michael Keaton back as Batman and they killed it? Yes. That's incredible. Yeah. And I, I believe, I, I'm almost positive, I believe she's Latina too. So it was like, yeah, you know, you have this, you know, first Latina to front a DC, you know, universe film, yep. you know, I mean, it had all the reasons to complete it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So that's kind of sucky. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember working on a show years ago, it was called Anchor Woman. And it was, it was, it was such a great show. It was a, uh, basically they grabbed a woman who was like, um, like a Vegas I wouldn't say kind of like a Vegas showgirl type. Okay. Okay. And they put her in a newsroom and they wanted to see if they could make her an anchor woman in a, in a, in a short period of time. And she, it really like riled the feathers of all of the, not only women, but there were some men there too, but the women who had been working at the station vying for this role sure. and worked their whole careers to get there. And, um, here comes the showgirl. Here comes the showgirl. And it turns out she was really, really good. Yeah, I totally believe it. She was really good. You know, it's funny. Channel 5, KTLA, KTLA Morning News, number one morning show in uh, Los Angeles. Um, th- one of their anchors won a talent search competition. I can't think of her name. I know, the blonde. She's the actually, blonde. she's really good. She was like a waitress. Uh, and she won this contest and she's now anchoring the number one morning television show in LA. And she's great. She's fantastic. So, um, so it turns out that they, uh, it was for, I believe it was for Fox. They decided let's air two episodes back to back for the premiere. And, um, it didn't do great. Right. But the upcoming episode, I guess, cause I think we only did six episodes, the upcoming episodes, it just got better and better. It was kind of like if you canceled Seinfeld when it first came out because yeah, Seinfeld yeah. didn't do great. Did did badly. Was one right. of the lowest rated shows on TV. And it got canceled and we were at, you know, we're we're there, we're at the premiere party and we're all excited and you know, and we find out the next day. The next day that they canceled it. Wait a minute, they canceled it at the premiere party? No, no, no. We're at the premiere party. We're all having a great time because we're watching the show and everybody's just loving it. And then we find out the next day, post-party, that it's canceled. They didn't air it after it was done? No, they aired it. We went to the we went oh, to but the you, party. But it got canceled the night, after the that. night that it premiered, they did back-to-back. The night it premiered, we had a, they had a party. The next day, we find out it was oh, canceled. Oh, that's brutal. That's brutal. So for something like, you know, for this, that you work yeah, months and months. Million on, $90 million. $90 million. It's just flush it down the toilet. That's crazy. How does it go from 80 million to 90 million? I mean, I, you know, you like you, you hear stories about because I remember years ago, Tom and I wanted to put an extension on our house, our little mm-hmm. house, you know, and uh, we got quoted 
I think it was like, I don't know, 75 or $80,000. This was over, you know, 10, 12 years ago. And then, um, and then it like ballooned up to, uh, the, the, the we, we said no. And, uh, then some other contractors said, oh, 250. They were just like throwing out numbers. Yeah. It was obvious that they didn't want to do it. Sure. <laughs> so they made it so ridiculous. But you hear these stories of people who, you know, are quoted a certain price to do work on their home and then it doubles. And okay, it's time, it's, it's money, it's materials and all of that. But from 80 million to 90 million. Well, here, but here's the thing. I mean, what happens is, you fall behind on your shooting schedule. So then every day you have to add, you have to pay the entire crew and yeah. the, all that stuff. You've got to pay locations, right. et cetera. So if you fall behind, I think that's where they run into the overages. Yeah. It just, you know, I guess, cause I've, I've never worked on, you know, behind the scenes on a feature film, just, you know, working on TV shows. And I know that, you know, the original budget, it, it, it never sticks to that, but, it's just crazy that it would yeah. go over $10 million, but yeah. Anyway. All right. So tell the cousin story. I, I want to hear the cousin story. Okay. So I, I, we never talked about this at all. No, we, uh, we've not talked about it. Okay. So I found out around, I guess it was maybe a year or so ago, uh, a cousin of mine did a 23 and me and found that my, uh, his grandfather was my uncle, um, had fathered, uh, a child, a daughter. And, um, my uncle had affairs, you know, we all, we all knew about it. We, well, yeah. we knew of one, one specifically, cause he was with this woman for like uh, forever, for like decades. And my aunt would never divorce him. Mm-hmm. So, um, but he never had a child with that particular woman. Ah. So my cousin finds out that he did. <laughs> yeah. And he tracks down the daughter who would be. Uh, all right. So she's my cousin. So she would be uh, probably in her mid to late seventies. Right. Yeah. That's how old she is. And she has a daughter. So her daughter lives out here. She lives in Arizona. Her daughter okay. lives here. Got it. So um, my cousin had been, you know, having contact with, I think the daughter, I think the, the, um, the granddaughter, I don't think, yeah. he, I, don't, I don't know how much he's talked to the daughter. And, um, and she was kind of the, the, the daughter was kind of reluctant to even get involved in all of this because her whole life, she thought her biological father was yeah, her, the guy her who father, raised yeah. her. Was yeah, her father. Sure. So, um, so anyway, um, so my cousin and then my cousin, uh, who's his aunt, we've been talking a lot about it and she's been in contact with the, you know, who's her half sister and yeah. she's been in contact with her 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 cousin her cousin okay right I'm, I'm, i need, honestly need like i know a, a family i know, tree I know. To, we need a graph i know yeah, we really do. seriously I'm so like, okay. so, the, so the bottom line is um the the uh the granddaughter contacted one of my brothers okay and asked uh found out that i lived in la yeah and asked if i would be interested in meeting her Okay, and I've been all over this from the beginning. I'm like, how come we're not doing a documentary about it? Yeah, yeah you know? it's true. It's true. You know, let's get on the horn here. This is like a great story. This is the kind of story that you know you see in a movie or you hear about. You read, you read, you see it on the news, but you never think it's going to be your life. Yeah, so, right. So I said, oh God, absolutely. So you know, she sent me a, a private message. You know, a, a 
DM on, on Facebook. And then I contacted her and she said, you know, um, I, uh, my mother and I have been told that we resemble your mom. Yeah. And um, so I see pictures of the two of them and her mother does for sure, but she really does. I mean, really, she looks more like my mother than I do. And it is crazy. So, um, she's so you're going to meet. So we're going to meet tonight. I'm going over. Her mom is in from Arizona. So her wow. mother and her father, and we're going to have dinner at her house. And she's married and has a kid. And um, we're all going to get together. That's tonight. crazy. That's crazy. And you don't know what you're going to get. You know, it's funny. 23 and me, uh, we, my brother did it. My brother, Travis, did it and found out that my grandfather, my grandpap, Eugene Santa Cruz, 6th Avenue, Altoona, Pennsylvania, was apparently a player. Uh, because he had a uh, child that my grandmother, Rose Santa Cruz of Sixth Avenue in Altoona, Pennsylvania, never knew about. Um, and we, my brother was all over this. Let's get together. Guy just up and died. So we never got to meet my grandfather's illegitimate son. But it would have been cool to do. Wow. Well, you know, actually, there's another thing. It's actually in Tom's family. His um, brother had a relationship with a woman, you know, God, probably 30 years, 30 something years ago. And out of nowhere, um, he and had he had no idea. She she ended up having his child. She never told him. Mm. And then the daughter appears, calls him up. You know, he was a he was a cop in the in the, the local in the town. So, yeah. you know, I guess it was kind of easy to find him. And uh, and now she's part of the family. Wow. So um, he doesn't have a relationship with with the mother, but um, she oh, yeah, she's there. She's got, you know, she's got two kids. And, you know, wow. I see her whenever I go down to Florida to visit. She's uh, and she looks exactly like him. So there's no mistaken. Yeah, no mistake. Well, I'm excited to hear the story of mystery cousin. Yeah, can't wait. Next show. Next show. So. uh Let's get to our guest. Our guest today got his big break in Young Guns, along with Kiefer Sutherland, Emilio Estevez, and Charlie Sheen. Since then, he starred in so many great movies. Longtime Companion, Angels in the Outfield, My Best Friend's Wedding, About Schmidt, Must Love Dogs, on and on. His new movie is Gone in the Night. It is now streaming on demand. You should check it out. Dermot Mulroney joins us. Dermot, thank you so much for doing this, man. Thanks for having me. Hi, Steve. How you doing? Hi, Sue. Hi. Everything is great. So I want to start, in, we're definitely going to talk about Gone in the Night, but I want to start in kind of a weird place. You are an accomplished cellist, and you've played for movie roles that you've had. Why, when you're a little kid and you're deciding what in instrument should I play, why did you pick the cello? Oh, that's a great question. Thanks. It takes me right back. I remember <laughs> that moment, in fact, uh, public school kid in uh in uh northern virginia and uh you know they had a field trip to the orchestra the city orchestra and they pointed out each of the instruments in bisection and i just right that day picked that one the joke being i suppose you get to sit down to play it or um something but um i i loved it from the minute i played i'm one of those lucky kids where i really just um was drawn to music and um excelled at it as a student and can still play the thing so um yeah it's um that's my instrument i play other string instruments guitars etc but um cellos of course my first and only 
So a lot of discipline goes into learning to play an instrument and practicing and honing those skills. Uh, is that something you've applied to your acting career to anything else in your life? Yeah. Uh, well, the thing that they share them and that I still enjoy so much is, uh, um, uh, you know, practicing an instrument is, is remarkably similar to shooting a movie in that you get to go back and try it again, at least a couple of times. So that mentality of trying to improve from your last attempt, uh, you know, if you're practicing one line of a, of a piece on an instrument or whether you're doing a, a certain camera angle, those next couple of takes that you get for me are what's so interesting, how to tweak it and and make it better, tighter, you know, however, um, improve it each time. So you're breaking a bigger, um, a, a bigger challenge down into its smaller parts and then learning them, combining it. And that kind of thinking always helped me. Um, I took that out of uh, instrumental, you know, from practicing the cello. So I've I've read that you've played with Alanis Morissette and uh, Melissa Etheridge, yeah. and you've done I scores. Look at that. That's online on the YouTube. The Alanis Morissette. It's it's pretty awesome. I um, can't. With I Boyd Tinsley too, who plays the violin in there, and is a rock star. So yeah, that was a while ago. But I just looked at that, and uh, what a thrill, man! What a thrill. That's at the House of Blues in Hollywood. Oh God! I mean, how cool is that? So if if you if you had to choose between being a musician, only being a musician, or only being an actor, what would you choose? Um, I did choose that. By about 14 or 15 years old, I was good enough on the instrument that if I intended to excel at it and be a professional or pursue it that way, I would have had to make that decision then. I was challenged with that decision by my cello teacher at the time. It's like either go now um, and I decided not to, uh, not to, you know, practice six hours a day is what it would require to get into a conservatory environment in, um, you know, after high school. So, um, I chose not to pursue it that intensely and yet it never went away. There are a couple of years, even maybe through and into the, or after college where I didn't play it for a long time, but it never went away. I always had it with me and I always, um, always played so then it came back when michael giacchino the academy award-winning film composer and he and i became friends and uh, i basically challenged him to have me in his orchestra and i played probably 20 20 score uh, scoring sessions uh, 20 different films with him since then um and it became um one of the uh, dream come true moments of my life for sure to play That's in an orchestra so cool. as a professional musician yeah yeah. Wow, so, uh, so I was a DJ in Toledo, Ohio at 93 QWRQN, uh, back in, uh, 19 late eighties when young guns came out and it was a gigantic deal. Um, yeah. you know, I mean, it had Emilio Estevez and Charlie Sheen and Lou Diamond Phillips and all the stars sort of of the day all come together for this big Western. What, what was that? What was that like that, that movie? And do you consider that to be your big break? Oh well, the thrill of being cast in that is hard, to, hard to um, hard to surpass. It's just incredible because the names that you suggest—I mean, those guys I've been now almost lifelong friends with—you uh, you, know—they—they—they um, they, 
You got to you got to contextualize it. It's just like post frat pack, right? It's like yep. the second wave. So there was already a thing, which was a young male leading actor in movies, which had never existed before. So it was kind of a new thing that movies were about kids. And then they materialized that into a Western. Um, and it's a, it's a brilliant film. It still holds up. It's exactly authentic in the chronology of the story. It's a real true Western movie. And the great performances throughout Christopher Kane as that director who just uh, made a great movie. A reason why a guy like you remembers it so well is because it also happened at a time when it's hard to explain the combination of they shot the trailer on the first day of shooting the movie. The trailer was in the theater before we're even done making it. They hurried up post-production. They put like some rock and roll on a Western maybe. And um, then the minute they released it in the theaters, back then it was unbelievable a month later you could get it on that newfangled thing called a vhs <laughs> <laughs> and you could watch it over and over again in your house with your 13 year old friend steve <laughs> yes yes we loved it and man so we loved it it hewed it hewed a path into the brain of so many people one like 10 year slice younger than me um, because I was so young when I did it. So in other words, it impacted its audience in a way that doesn't happen anymore. Maybe there's some resemblance again with binging and rewatching stuff. But at that time, it was the first you could rewatch a movie repeatedly, repeatedly and, and turn it into a Western party. And, uh, it was amazing to be part of that, um, that time in, um, in film and to be asked on that movie to play Dirty Steve still blows my mind. Yeah. What a great part. Yeah. So I'm going to bring up something that I that I that I'm going to bring up something that I hope isn't too sensitive for you. So in 1996, you were nominated for Best Kiss on the MTV um, uh, Awards, right? Yeah. And uh, it was your kiss with Winona Ryder from uh, How to Make an American yeah. Quilt, and you lost. And I want to know, are you okay with that? I, you know, things like. Everybody processes grief differently and, uh, you know, at different rates of speed. Uh, no, I don't mean to make fun of grief, but um, I've always made that joke about how devastated I was um, to not win that. But the real point to be taken out of that is what you did is you, you went and you Googled Dermot Award nominations and, uh, frankly, like, that's all you came up with. That's like, that's it. So <laughs> the life lesson I took from that is that, you know, that I take from that question is, you know, that's not why I wasn't really put here. <laughs> Just, uh, you know, stand at podiums with little toy shaped gold statues. Uh, you know, that's not my job. So my job is to turn in part after part, interesting role after interesting role and try it like how to entertain America. Um, <laughs> Which brings us to Gone in the Night, uh, because that's my second uh, time on the boards with Winona Ryder. Um, so 25 plus years after we worked on How to Make an American Quilt, we get to, we get to have the really uh, juicy roles with each other in this movie coming out this week on VOD. So how, how do you talk about the movie how without do I, how do i segue so well away. to the product that's on the shelf i don't know it's just like <laughs> built into my um pr muscle uh no go on what is that steve uh, how do you how do you talk about this movie without giving away this movie 
gone in the night. Well, just a minute ago, I was spoiling everything. And then, uh, yeah, I got told not to in no uncertain terms. So um, I'm not going to tell you anything about the end of Gone in the Night anymore. Um, last week, I was spilling the beans on the whole thing. But here's the deal. It's got a great couple of twists at the end of the movie. My character kind of creeps into the film and then comes on strong at the end. I play Barlow, who's sort of a... Um, eh, one of those guys that's trying to live a little bit off the grid um, and uh, and then crosses paths with some incredibly interesting characters and mayhem ensues. How's that for us? You, you, know, you nailed it. Kind of, yeah, general non-spoiler description of uh, 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 Gone in the Night. But it's a brilliant puzzle of a movie and I, I can't recommend it highly enough. We had a blast making it. It gets really intense at the end. And um, and I was so proud to be working with Winona again and working with Eli Horowitz, the director. And the whole cast is remarkable. So. so so, when you take a role like this and you've worked with Winona, which, you know, you said 25 years ago, you're reunited. What 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 makes you take a role like this? Uh, uh, script, I'm sure, you know, is is probably foremost. But was it so much that you were going to be working with Winona again? Um, yeah, I believe in this type of movie too. So it, it is all the things you said and the script is brilliant. Um, so that, that would have done it alone. The character is really a departure for me in some ways. And even at the same time, a nod to some of the nineties vibe, um, that, uh, you know, I guess I was a part of helping to, uh, established. So it's a, it was really, a really cool movie to be in. Then Winona's in it, I almost couldn't believe it. So we had a table read, believe it or not, on ta- picnic tables out in the Redwood Forest, Northern California, mm. where we shot it. And um, we sat next to each other. I mean, I literally hadn't seen her in a decade. And um, it just was like, a, I told her it felt like a reward. Uh, to do a movie like this, small cast, intense storyline, great characters, um, uh, a reward for, uh, I guess what, waiting around to work with Winona again, couldn't, uh, couldn't have come together better for me. So thrilled to be, and we made a great movie. Yeah, it is a great movie. It is a great movie. I want to ask you about another great movie you did, uh, called Longtime companion in 1989. I'll tell you something personal. Uh, this is a, a movie about a group of gay friends, how they dealt with the AIDS crisis. I, I was, I, I'm gay. I was completely closeted at this point. And I just watched this movie and cried and cried. And I remember Bruce Davison had a scene where his lover is dying of AIDS. And I mean, it's, a, it's such a great performance. Uh, Bruce Davison was wonderful in that, got nominated for an Oscar. I'm wondering if when you're on a set and you see a performance, do you know it's good? Or then do you have to wait and see it on the screen to know it's good? Oh gosh, I don't know. I was, uh, I'm so touched that you bring up this movie. I have a lump in my throat too. So here's to you, man. Thank um, you, man. And those were really tough years for um, gay and straight. Uh, but as we all know, uh, looking back, especially in the arts community. So um, to be asked to be a part of that contemporaneous telling of that story, um, I, I knew it was incredibly important. Even at that time, I must have been only 23 or 24 mm. um, and uh, played that role of John Deacon, who was the first of this really close, loving group of men who uh, first to die of an inexplicable disease. So it's a it's an incredible movie 
some members of that cast, the director himself, Norman Rene, died of AIDS about five years after that wow. movie. So it, it holds mm. so much um, meaning for me to have been there at that time to help tell that story. And to have you bring it up means a lot to me today. I appreciate it. Cool, man. Cool. Yeah, I mean, there's got there's such such an intensity, you know. Uh, I'm sure when you're working on a, a film. I mean, I've been fortunate to have you know a few scattered parts here and there. And I mean, I I, I worked like a day on something, and it I I it was so intimate, and just in like three hours of being on a set. So I can only imagine, you know, what it would be like to spend months and months and months. Um, no, I wanted- and then add to that, um, you know. 20, 30 years since that movie and how it impacted people's lives. It's staggering. Yeah. It really, yeah. it really is. Um, and I knew, um, and, and you mentioned Bruce Davidson was nominated for an Oscar. So they're very early in the world and our country's acceptance culturally of what AIDS was, was, was doing to us. Um, you know, Hollywood acknowledged it and, and embraced that movie. So it could have gone another way. Um, and I really love Bruce running to him over the years and he's a brilliant actor, but that scene, there were so many people who, who supported that moment where you're watching, uh, um, young friends die. So, um, cheers guys. Thanks for bringing up so many wonderful memories today. Yeah. So you were going to ask something else and I just got a knock on the door. I'm working on a, um, franchise horror movie, which the title I'm even afraid of telling you. Really? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you'll, you'll have to you'll have to Google that too. But Stu, what were you gonna? What were well, you? Well, I was ask? gonna I was gonna ask you. You know your your time on Shameless because I know you know you hopped on to a a hit series. You know in season five, yeah. and you play a junkie. And I wanted to know. Um, I, I've known and actually dated <laughs> a junkie or two in my life, and I wanted to yeah. know how you prepare for a role like that. Well, there are two. Gosh, you guys, this is so um, amazing. You're picking parts that impacted people's lives more than I expected when I was doing it. And uh, I, I love talking about Shameless. You nailed it. I was so blessed to be added to a show where they were already so respected and really a hit show. So that was just a privilege to be asked to join there, too. And to be honest with you, I didn't know. I did not know the hmm. writers and the way the storylines came together. I was not in on the fact that Sean was an addict until that fifth or sixth episode of, of that first season. So even in that way, I didn't, I wasn't acting heroin addict. Who's not telling anybody. I was just acting, you know, a man in recovery that worked at the restaurant. So the performance sort of tricked itself into being very subtle. It's an, it's amazing the way that worked, but by the end of that second season, all that goes down between him and, uh, and, and, um, uh, and Fiona and her family is so moving. And, um, gosh, all of us, I think know someone or really, you know, someone close to so many of us, um, have been that person where you didn't know they were as bad off as they were. So look for those people in your lives, people help them where you can. Um, and I'm sorry, I do have, I, I am. I, yeah, to totally get it. You got to get right back now. to unnamed, uh, unnamed horror film. Uh, didn't get to talk about righteous <laughs> gemstones, but hilarious, uh, really, really <laughs> cool, cool movie gone in the night. Uh, it is, it is such a great little film. So congratulations on that. We'll let you get back to your movie, man. Not at all. You got, you guys, honestly, you made my day, uh, just the trip down memory, memory lane. I've worked with so many 
incredible people in each of those uh, each of those roles you mentioned. So thanks for that today, and uh, I hope everyone enjoys the Gone Gone in the Night with uh, Winona. Appreciate uh, it. All right, awesome. All right. Thank you, Dermot. There you have it, Dermot Mulroney joining us. I, we didn't really get to talk about. It. I mentioned Righteous Gemstones, but mm. oh, such a funny show. And I still think one of the great oversights of the Emmys was uh, Edie Patterson, who plays the daughter on that show. So good. But Dermot has had such a long career and has so many different projects. We didn't even get close to some of the stuff I wanted to talk about. Right. I actually wanted to tease him about um, how many times he gets mistaken for Dylan McDermott, because when I told people, <laughs> when I told people that we were interviewing him, they were like, "It was he? They started naming films that Dylan McDermott was in. <laughs> and I said, no, uh, no. And I, I wondered if they were ever up for the same part. But yeah, it could have been could have been. Yeah. Uh, well, there you have it. There is your Culture Pop podcast. Hey, thank you for listening. We appreciate it a lot. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the Culture Pop podcast on Apple, Spotify, or at stevemason.com. Sue, great seeing you, and we will see everybody next time on the Culture Pop podcast.